Are they in or are they out? The Phillies remain in contention despite their recent inconsistent play. We'll break down their playoff chances. Aaron Nola is one of three fighting for a Cy Young Award. We'll look at the candidates. And finally, what if the Phillies reacquired Cole Hamels? This and more on Phillies Nation, episode 52. City of brotherly love, stand up, hands up. That's where I come from. Welcome back to the latest installment of the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm your host. My name is Frank Close, and I'm from SportstalkPhilly.com and 97.3 ESPN. Really happy to join you for another episode, and this is one that's coming after a frustrating week of Phillies play. The Phillies head down to Washington. They should have won two of three, but a walk-off grand slam on Wednesday... They end up losing two of three, and then they head to Toronto, and once again, the bullpen cannot hold a lead. So for the Phillies, they're not getting swept, but they keep losing series. Now, while the Phillies were in Washington, the Atlanta Braves were in Pittsburgh, and their power was pretty much out for the the Braves. Now, they had one victory that was kind of convincing. That was a 6-1 victory. But they opened game one with a one nothing victory over the Pittsburgh Pirates. And there was a play at the plate with Adini Echeverria that very much could have gone the other way. And, and when they replayed it, they couldn't conclusively call it. So it could have been a tie game and gone the other way. And then the last game of the series, I was in attendance for that in Pittsburgh on Wednesday. And that was a 2-1 Atlanta Braves victory. And let me tell you, Gregory Polanco hit a ball to the outfield in the bottom of the ninth that we all thought tied it, but it hit just below the line. Uh, One of their stands is kind of high up, hit just below the line, and he had to settle for a double. So, So the Braves didn't really set the world on fire in Pittsburgh either with their offense. But then the Braves headed to Miami. While the Phillies were losing the first two games in Toronto, the Braves were losing their first two games in Miami. And so when all the dust settles, the Phillies remain today three games out of first place in the National League East. So the Phillies are actually losing ground in the wild card while kind of hanging in there with the Braves. Now the unfortunate thing is they couldn't take advantage of two losses to the Marlins because... For the Phillies and the Braves, both of them have had four-game sweeps of the Marlins this year. But the Phillies could not take advantage. The Phillies win the last game, luckily, thankfully, showing some offense. The pitching hung in there, giving up just three runs and an 8-3 victory. But the, the Braves beat the Marlins 4 to nothing. So now what is the question? What does it mean for this Phillies team? Are they in it or are they out? I put something together on Sports Talk Philly on Sunday morning. Go check it out, sportstalkphilly.com. Phillies were down, but they are still not 
out. As frustrating as some of these losses are, the Phillies are still very much in it. And here's how, here's why I think they're pretty much in it. Braves offense, inconsistent. Phillies offense, inconsistent. We are all waiting for Odubel Herrera to start making contact again. And who knows, he might already be showing some signs of, of breaking out of a slump. You know, we we saw Lodubel Herrera, uh, since he, he's still playing, by the way, despite calls for Roman Quinn. Uh, certainly it helped that they were in Toronto and they had a designated hitter to play with. But Odubel Herrera, Sunday, one for four. All right, so he, he is... He is starting to get some hits. 268 on the season. Certainly he was 100 points higher in the middle of May. But the offense seemed to be gelling, especially when Wilson Ramos was in the cleanup spot. Going 4 for 5 on Sunday. Three runs driven in. Batting 311 on the season. And if you're going to look at his stats for 2018 uh, as a Philly Okay, now he came to the Phillies batting 297, but as a Philly, 480. That's not sustainable, but we know that Wilson Ramos makes a huge difference in the Phillies lineup as somebody like Jorge Alfaro might be batting eighth. You get a cleanup hitter out of this and makes your whole lineup that much better. So two inconsistent offenses. Now, there's one week in the schedule that I think is going to make a huge difference here. Actually, there are really two. First is the week September 3rd through 9th. That's coming up soon. And the other are the last seven out of the last 11 games where the Phillies and Braves play each other. Now, rosters expand on Friday. Excuse me, Saturday, after Friday. So they have till Friday to make any other additions if they choose to make them. If I'm the Phillies, I'm still seeing what's out there, and there are signs that the Phillies continue to see what's out there. They picked up Luis Avalon from the Chicago White Sox this week. All right, so they they hired, they tried to get Aaron Loop to be their lefty in the bullpen. He gets hurt. Not that he did much for them while he was there. So they get another lefty, Luis Avalon. Might they grab somebody else? Now, the Phillies, they grabbed Justin Boer. Oblique injury. Now, we've seen these oblique injuries in the past. Roman Quinn had one recently. I, I know, I think back, Cody Ashey had one a few years ago. And all you can do with those injuries is rest them. And if you come back too soon, you can re-aggravate it. So Justin Boer, if he re-aggravates it, that's it. So would the Phillies consider adding another bet? One name I suggested they take a flyer on just because I don't think it'll cost them a lot. Josh Donaldson of the Toronto Blue Jays. Now he's been hurt. He only batted two thirty four this year. But veteran left-handed bat they can throw in there basically to be what Justin Bohr was before he got hurt. An oblique injury could take four weeks, could take six weeks. Well, guess what? How much is left? So maybe they want to grab somebody like Josh Donaldson. 
Maybe they want to grab somebody like Andrew McCutcheon, who we know has cleared waivers, and the San Francisco Giants could trade him. So if they want to try one more veteran bat, uh, could be a, a situation like Boer where they were starting for the other team and now they're not going to get to start. But it wouldn't hurt to have some extra bullets, especially when you lose somebody like Justin Boer. And one thing that's going to happen with the roster expansion is you're going to see an influx of pitching. Jared Eikhoff has two AAA starts under his belt. Both of them were decent. He went six innings yesterday, giving up. Yesterday being Saturday as I'm recording this Sunday evening, as I usually do. Six innings, no earned runs. No runs. So Eikhoff will be added to the mix. And you can expect that every reliever that uh, is currently on the disabled list when they come back will be on the active roster Everybody down in AAA at the moment. Mark Leiter, Edibri Ramos will be back soon. Uh, Yaxel Rios. Yeah, there, there's a number of pitchers down there that will come up. I think you'll see Eniel De Los Santos, probably Ranger Suarez. They are going to bring some reinforcements from AAA. And, and, and on the offensive side, J.P. Crawford will be back. Um, Andrew Knapp is back now, but he would have been one of them. Uh, you'll see... Um, who else is down there in the offensive side? It's that I'm forgetting. I, I don't think um, I don't think Mitch Walling's going to make it back or Dylan Cousins. You you might see, you might see Mitch Walling designated for assignment. Cousins might get a shot. But, but in other words, though, they're they'll they'll have the oh, and Pedro Florimond will be healthy soon. So you're going to have all these players available to you that you can use to pinch run here, uh, pinch hit, and then then somebody else comes in and plays defense later. That will give them a lot more options, and I think that's very important for the pitching because, as we'll talk about later in this show with, with Matt Rappa of Sports Talk Philly, I don't think they're going to be very patient with Nick Pavetta and Vince Velasquez and uh, Zach Eflin even. So Velasquez, okay today, picks up the W, uh, but certainly there have been some struggles from from Nick Pavetta and even Zach Eflin the second half. The minute they struggle, you'll see somebody coming out of the bullpen. Or Jared Eikhoff, currently pitching the same day that Nick Pavetta is. Maybe Eikhoff comes back and takes Pavetta's spot. A lot of that will be juggling roster as you get into into September 1st. So keep an eye on that. But here's, here are the two stretches that are going to make a big difference. First, September 3rd through 9th. The Phillies will play three against the Marlins. They'll play three against the Mets. They are all on the road. Meanwhile, the Atlanta Braves get three against the Boston Red Sox, four against the first-place Arizona Diamondbacks. Other than that, their two schedules kind of match up kind of similarly. The... the Phillies get a series against the Hot Cubs. The Philly, the the Braves get a series against the, the St. Louis Cardinals. They kind of they kind of cancel each other out. I would argue the Cardinals are a little bit hotter right now. But the Braves have that one extra makeup game against the Cubs too. So that's something else to consider. One thing that the Phillies have that the Braves do not is they have a 
four-game series at Colorado between which the next stretch is seven games against each other head-to-head. Things are going to be very interesting there. I think this is going to be a tremendous series to watch. It's going to be all hands on deck, and the Phillies and the Braves are just going to go at it. So those extra reinforcements... You might get them for that seven-game stretch. You look at some of the strengths of the Braves, maybe some of their their young right-handed starters. Maybe you do want Josh Donaldson in case Justin Bohr isn't back. Maybe you want to pick up Andrew McCutcheon just in case Justin Bohr isn't back. Or just in case somebody gets hurt. You, can't have too much offense because that seems to be what's been plaguing the Phillies, although of late, They've certainly had their struggles. And by the way, Hector Neris. Keep an eye on Hector Neris. This is a guy who at the end of 2017 saved 20 games in a row to close out the season. This is not some schlub who can't pitch. The Phillies can get a lot out of Hector Neris still. And if he can keep working his way to the back of the bullpen, that will take a lot of pressure off Sir Anthony Dominguez, who rebounded okay today with a scoreless inning. And the Phillies will rely on veterans like Tommy Hunter and Pat Neshek as much as they can. That's the reason they got him. And, And after a really rough start, indeed, Tommy Hunter's been pretty good. You know, he... Pitched to a 3-2-1 ERA in July, and in August, coming into the today, it was under one. He gives up the home run today. I'm not that worried about that home run because, you know what? He, he did what somebody with a five-run lead should do, and that's throw strikes. Sometimes they get hit out. But Tommy Hunter is going to be somebody that's really going to help them down the line. So Neris, Hunter, Nishek, that might work. And then you have Luis Garcia, you have Adam Morgan, you have Luis Avalon. It's starting to shape up okay. Uh, you know, Edubrai Ramos, he, he kind of hasn't gotten it back together, although he was dominant earlier in the year. If he can get going again, he could be a he could be a force in the bullpen. And even Victor Arano, who unfortunately um, has had a couple of, of tough times. He was cut, touched up lately. He's still been very good for the Phillies. So so you might be okay in the bullpen. I think it's still going to come down to scoring runs. That will be the one thing that will make or break them. And we must talk about Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola is having a career year. And the thing I keep saying about this year that Aaron Nola is having could be his best year he ever has. And it could be one of the best years any Phillies pitcher has for some time. You can't waste this season. That is the reason why if I was the Phillies, I'd be buying at the deadline. That's why I'd still buy at this deadline. You cannot waste this NOLA season. And to talk about this three-player, or at least right now it's three players, the Cy Young race, we welcome Phillies Nation's Tim Kelly. What's up, Tim? What's going on, Frank? Uh, it's certainly an interesting race. It's one that got more national attention last week because 
Nola pitched against Scherzer and DeGrom happened to pitch that same day. And then we're going to see Nola against Scherzer again on Tuesday. So certainly an interesting race, not the only interesting race the Phillies are in, but it's definitely an interesting sideshow for the Phillies as the season winds down or perhaps doesn't wind down. Yeah, and it's very exciting that that Nola gets to have a rematch against Scherzer because I mean, let's let's face it, if if uh, Scherzer takes this one, nobody would be shocked. Or you know, uh, Nola has the ability to shock uh, everybody else, and and who knows, maybe maybe this will be the one game where they give up ten runs each. I don't know. That always seems to happen to even the best of the players. So so let's take a, a quick look through this list now. Right now, we're we're pretty certain that this race is going to come down to Jacob Degrom. Max Scherzer, Aaron Nola. So why don't we go down the list one by one and and talk about what their season has been like thus far. You can kind of take us through the numbers a little bit. I know you broke them down a lot this week on philliesnation.com. So let's start with Jacob deGrom. Now, the the thing perhaps Jacob deGrom does not have going for him is, is that he's a New York Met, and the New York Mets are not having the season that they envisioned heading into this year, and, and they're a far cry from the team that went to the World Series just a couple of years ago, which is hard. It seems like such a distant memory, uh, but most of those players came back this year. Uh, well, well, at least the ones that, that were not injured. Uh, but uh, so tell us about Jacob deGrom and, and how he's kind of faring in this race right now. Yeah, I mean, for as good as Aaron Nola and Max Scherzer have been, they both have two, one, three ERAs and FIPS that back up that, yeah, these seasons have been excellent. Jacob deGrom has a 171 ERA. He is 42 points lower than two guys that have really remarkably low ERAs. Uh, And it speaks to the type of season he's had. He has a 207 FIP, which is incredible for this time of the year. He has a 6.9 F4. And I I value F4, uh, which is Fangrass version, a little bit more than uh, Baseball References version, which is usually referred to as B-War just because of how it's calculated B war looks just at or looks primarily at runs scored or runs allowed F war looks more at fielding independent pitching and different more advanced stats so in that sense I think Jacob deGrom has to be the favorite for the Cy Young we could have a different discussion about uh, whether he would be the favorite for MVP or not if we're going to factor pitchers into that discussion but I mean, he's made 170, or he's pitched uh, 174 innings in 26 starts. He's simply been excellent. Uh, the unfortunate part for him is he's eight and eight. Now, to me, that doesn't matter. But I know that there's voters that it does matter for. And the Mets are not a contending team. And I think there are other voters that are going to look at this and say, "Well, it's close, and we're going to give it to someone that was on a contending team." Yeah, talking about the Mets not doing so great. So. The Mets fell to 58 and 72 today after a 15 to nothing loss to the Washington Nationals, a game that they were only down one nothing heading into the eighth inning, and their bullpen gives up 14 runs uh, to get the last six out. So, so, so his status as a New York Met now he, he's only eight and eight right now. He, he, Jacob Degrom seems to me will will have to win some more games between now and the end of the year, uh, but 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 in terms of the team. Did, do you think at all the team has to be a good team for the person to win a Cy Young? No, I do not. I think, and th- this debate factored a lot when Alex Rodriguez was on the Rangers and people said, well, he's putting up these Hall of Fame caliber numbers, hitting 50 home runs a year, 
but the Rangers are a fourth-place team. I don't look at it like that. The way I view it is the Cy Young Award or the MVP, uh, these are for the best, absolute best players. And the Cy Young specifically to me is for the absolute best pitcher. And whether Jacob deGrom's numbers, uh, whether at the end of the season he has a lot of wins or not, he really can't control that. Obviously, he's in the National League, so he hits. But that's not what he's there to do. And the part that's his job, he's done an excellent job at this year. So to me, it doesn't matter. But there certainly are voters. uh, They tend to be more traditional voters who will look at it and say, oh, he hasn't won enough games for me. But Felix Hernandez won a Cy Young only winning 12 games because he was the best pitcher that year. Was he 12 and 11? Was that the... Or was it 12 and 13? Yeah, it was something in that range. He might have even had a losing record. Uh... I have to look that up because it's been a while since I looked it up. But, but Felix Hernandez, yeah, he there's kind of it's kind of established now that they're willing to look past that, and and you know having a Cy Young winner, yeah, I'm sorry, he was 13 and 12, two two seven ERA for the 2010 Seattle Mariners. So so there is some precedent. So the traditional voters were overruled once if if they were not willing to vote for a pitcher with a suspect record, or in the case of Hernandez, one game over 500, which very well could be where DeGrom is by the time you get to the end of the season. And an excellent point you make, this is seems to be the individual award as opposed to an MVP, which is about the team. Now, that's a different debate for a different day, but let's keep going down the line. Let's take a look at Max Scherzer of the Washington Nationals. The Washington Nationals, also a team that's underperforming, after that blowout victory today, they still are only 65 and 66. Seem to be out of the race as well, but Max Scherzer is still money. Yeah, the crazy thing about Max Scherzer, he's 16 and 6 with a 2.13 ERA, a 2.63 FIP, a 6.0 F WAR. I mean, he's won three Cy Young awards. This might be the best season he's ever had of his career at age 34. And he could end up finishing third in the national league Cy Young race, which I think speaks to the fact that after players careers, when you're talking about hall of fame and just legacies in general, you need to look past all-star selections and awards because it, it varies so much per year. There's years where Max Scherzer would be running away with the Cy Young Award, the last two included. I mean, he's having a better season than he had the last two, and this is a two-time defending National League Cy Young Award winner. So he's someone that's still very much in the thick of things. I don't think that uh, head-to-head matchups with other Cy Young contenders should factor in that much, but they do. So, I mean, it would certainly work in Max Scherzer's favor to – beat Aaron Nola on Tuesday. I know they're not. some people get mad with that framing, but that's how it's viewed. So Aaron Nola got him the first time in D.C. If he came into Philly and threw a complete game, I think that that would put him very much back in this discussion. I think he's still in the discussion. Nola might have taken a slight lead, and I'm not even necessarily sure I agree with that. But when voters come from all across the country and they have different degrees of work ethic, um, a lot of them are just going to look at head-to-head matchups because it makes it easier for them. And they see, oh, well, Aaron Nola was better than him in this one start. Their stats are close, so I'm going to give the edge to Aaron Nola. And Max Scherzer has that working against him right now. So what would you say is perhaps the the weakness in Scherzer's sort of resume this year? Like, is there a weakness in his resume? I think the weakness in his resume is that he's doing it in a year where Jacob deGrom and Aaron Nola are amazing. I would also say voter fatigue factors in here, though. 
with that said, Max Scherzer has a few other things going for him. There's a, a viewpoint across the sport that pitchers are taken out too early these days, and Max Scherzer is a horse. And Aaron Nolan and Jacob deGrom have been that too, but Max Scherzer grunts. He, he's like Cliff Lee in the way that he's just fun to watch pitch. And I think that that works in his favor when voters uh, look to break ties and distinguish who separates from who in a race this tight. All right, so now let's get to Aaron Nola. Of course, he's the hometown guy, so a lot of Phillies fans might be a little bit biased towards Aaron Nola. But tell us about Aaron Nola's season so far. It's been an excellent season for Aaron Nola. 2.13 ERA, 2.66 FIP. His uh, his F war is a little bit lower at 5.4. It is pointed out quite frequently that he has the highest B war among pitchers. Now, Max Scherzer has a higher total when you factor he's a very productive offensive player. But just in terms of pitching, Aaron Nola now has, I believe, an 8.9 pitching war, which is tied for Cliff Lee's mark in 2011, which was the highest mark that a Phillies pitcher had had in I believe since Steve Carlton in 1980. So, you know, it puts in perspective the type of season that Aaron Nola is having. He's kind of the newer face on the block, which both means that voters a lot of times like to reward the newer names. And they also, it also means that Aaron Nola, whether he wins it this year or not, will be at the front of voters' minds in year to come. He, he's just truly had an excellent season. And a stat that I put in one of my articles about Nola's season earlier this week is that. He has four starts against Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, Noah Syndergaard, and David Price. And I know David Price has regressed, but he was very good. He went eight innings the, the game that Nola squared off with him. These are guys that have won MVPs. They've won Cy Youngs. Scherzer will probably be a Hall of Famer. Clayton Kershaw will definitely be a Hall of Famer. Aaron Nola in 30 innings against those guys spread out in four starts has a 0.90 ERA. So he has absolutely found an even higher level. And we saw it in the All-Star game as well. When Aaron Nola is on these big stages, he just seems to have ice in his veins. And whether he wins a Cy Young or not, it speaks well to how he's going to perform when he eventually pitches in the playoffs. Yeah, very interesting. If you look through his season's starts, Three losses, all right? So let's run through these losses. I just, just very interesting to see if you want to make the argument that wins and losses don't necessarily matter. April 16th at Atlanta, six innings, two earned runs, takes the loss. St. Louis, he had his worst start of the season. Six innings, four earned runs. And then his next loss, he had one more there, and that's at Miami, six innings, two earned runs <laughs> so it's he could be very easily 17 and one right now if if uh, the Phillies scored a couple runs for him right and this is a season again like the other two if he's having this season last year or any any other season I don't even think it's that much of a debate that he's worth a Cy Young but you have two guys uh Jacob deGrom is one of the better pitchers of this era Max Scherzer is one of the top three or four pitchers of this era and they're both having I think the best seasons of their career and Aaron Nola is having the best season of his career to date but it might just kind of be in the wrong season for him to win this type of award I mean he's thrown 169 innings which is already a career high the problem is Jacob deGrom's thrown 174 Max Scherzer's thrown over 181 so 
again, when you're talking about breaking ties, there still are little things that kind of give edges to Scherzer and DeGrom, but he's going to square off with Scherzer again this Tuesday, and there's still a month, a little more than a month left in the season. So perhaps one of them falls off a cliff. I keep looking at these numbers. Like Aaron Nola was at a 2.24 ERA entering last game, and I'm like, eventually he's going to have a game where he just gives up three or four runs, and that number goes up. And all three of these guys, they just continue to lower their numbers. They continue to get better as the season goes on. And really, it, it speaks to the type of pitcher Aaron Nola is because he's someone that appears to get stronger as games go on. And I think Max Scherzer has a lot of those same qualities as well. One question on Thursday. All right, so Aaron Nola seems to be leaking a little bit of oil in the eighth inning. Would you have taken him out of the game or would you have left him in for the ninth? I wouldn't have had a problem with putting him out for the ninth, but he even said after the game he kind of left it all on the field because he got himself into some trouble and he had to square off with, I mean, for as much as the Nationals have been disappointing, that's as good of a heart of an order as you have. And he had to square off with Bryce Harper, who, think what you may, I know he's a polarizing figure, but Bryce Harper is scorching hot since the All-Star break. And Aaron Noah beat him with two fastballs. So, I think in the end it made sense. It certainly would have been a different discussion if Pat Neshek hadn't worked a very successful ninth inning, but I think it made sense to pull him there. As much as I think a lot of us would have liked to see him throw a complete game, it probably made the most sense to turn to Neshek there. And Darren Nola is yet to throw a complete game. What are your thoughts about that? Does that matter in this Cy Young equation? I don't think it matters in this specific one, or it shouldn't matter, because I believe Scherzer and DeGrom have both thrown one this year, and Aaron Knowles had a few eight-inning performances now. And if he's really going to win the Cy Young, I would think between now and the end of the season, you would probably have to have a complete game in there. I don't think it matters a ton, but I, I do think uh, Max Scherzer specifically has had less games than Aaron Nola where he maybe goes six innings. And Aaron Nola, like... You look at the San Diego game, Aaron Nola kind of, he didn't have his best stuff that night. He worked through six solid innings, but it really, you could tell it wasn't his best stuff. Max Scherzer rarely gives you less than seven innings. And again, this isn't a shot at Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola has been incredible this year. I think he's still slightly behind Max Scherzer, but it's very slightly. And to tell the truth, I think Jacob deGrom is still probably ahead of both of them. This will go down to the wire. Tim Kelly, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, Frank. So lately, the Phillies starting rotation has been leaking a little bit of oil. There are many of calls for the Phillies to reacquire Cole Hamels. Cole Hamels seemed to beg to come back to Philadelphia, publicly stating he would love to do so. But at the end of the day, the Phillies opted not to trade for Cole Hamels or anyone else for that matter. And for the Chicago Cubs, Cole Hamels has been reminiscent of the Cole Hamels of old. And to talk a little bit about Cole Hamels and the Philly starting rotation is Matt Rappa of SportstalkPhilly.com. What's up, Matt? Hi, Frank. How are you doing? I am great. Uh, even though the Phillies aren't so great in, their, in, in one respect or another. And I know you've been writing on SportstalkPhilly.com about the 
uh, wonderful performance that Cole Hamels has had for the Cubs so far. So, you know, we, we keep seeing tweets about it and, and hearing how well he's doing. So can you take us through the numbers that Cole Hamels has put up thus far with the Cubs? Yeah, sure. So through five starts this month, Hamels has won four of them. He's 4-0. and um, It's 34 innings. He's only given up 24 hits, four runs, three of which are earned. He's given up no home runs after giving up seven in June and three in July. And he's only walked eight batters this month while striking out 30 batters over 34 innings. So he's been pretty much the dominant force that the Cubs needed to turn their season around. And right now I believe they're the top team in the National League and they keep on winning yeah, it's, and not looking back. So. And it's, it's pretty – I'm glad you mentioned the home runs because – the one thing that was really plaguing Cole Hamels was essentially that I think at the time of the trade he was leading all the major leagues in home runs allowed for a starting pitcher, which which I find fascinating because back in the day anyway, Wrigley Field in Chicago was the original bandbox. You know, before there was a Citizens Bank Park, before there were other new smaller ballparks, everybody thought that Wrigley Field was the place where people were going to hit home runs, and. Hamels has not given up any, so <laughs> how about that? So so let's take a look then about what the Phillies might have had. Now, in your opinion, who would you have replaced in the starting rotation if you were able to land somebody like Cole Hamels? Well, right now it's looking like Pavetta and Eflin are in the bottom tier. I would actually put Velasquez as a number three behind Nolan Arietta just by looking at his stats which actually, in comparison to Hamels this year, they're about equal. Um, in 26 appearances and 25 starts this season, Velasquez is, has a 4.05 ERA. And then in 25 starts for Hamels, he has a 3.82 ERA. Both are 9-9 nine nine when lost. For Hamels, a 1.27 whip. And Velasquez at 1.26 whip, 142 strikeouts for Velasquez, 144 for Hamels. So actually, on spanning out through an entirety of this season, they're almost equal pitchers. And when the Sullies were considering Hamels or rumored to be in July, it's all about building a potential postseason rotation. And perhaps they saw this comparison and realize that they don't need to really give up a lot. I know context said he liked the rotation that the Phillies had out there. So, yeah, right now I would say F1 and Pavetta are definitely the four and the five. And when that comes in postseason, they don't really matter much because I think they'll likely have Nola go on three days rest, definitely. Yeah, very interesting. It'd be very interesting to see if they do that, especially considering their, their sort of conservative approach when it comes to keeping people from pitching too much. And you, you bring up an interesting point there about not giving up too much for Cole Hamels. Now, the return that the Cubs actually gave back to the Rangers really wasn't that much. It, it actually was that they paid, the Rangers paid them to take Hamels, essentially, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Cubs acquired Hamels in $5 million and... They only gave up a relief pitcher, Eddie Butler, a minor league right-hander, Roley Lacey, and a 17-year-old Dominican first baseman slash outfielder, 
um, Alexander Ivalis, yeah. who last um, 316-430, 368, and then Dominican Summer League. So, And yeah, he hasn't really played only, in the professional leagues yet, is that correct? Yeah, not yet. He's only 17, the one position player they gave up for Hamels. So it sounds like they, they basically treated Cole Hamels for a lottery ticket there, right? Because you really don't know what he's going to become yet. Uh, both Butler and Lacey don't really appear to be uh, major prospects. Uh, Butler, 1-1 one one with a 408 ERA for the Cubs in the major leagues, but he was 0-3 with an 810 ERA at AAA Iowa. And, and Lacey, uh, he was 5-2 with a 2.45 ERA in um, 18 appearances, 12 of them starts, and two different levels of the, the Cup system. But he's way down in, in high A Myrtle Beach, so it's, it seems like the the, the Rangers are, are kind of banking on perhaps doing what the Phillies did when they traded Jonathan Papelbon and, and acquired a Nick Pavetta, trying to, to strike gold uh, on, on maybe somebody who's lesser known at this point and didn't go go that far. So now let's quickly look at, at Zach Eflin and... Uh, who very interestingly, you said you'd slot him behind Velasquez now. So Eflin and Pavetta are the two that might be the weaker links in the Phillies rotation. So tell us a little bit about how they're doing and, and kind of where where are they trending at this point? Yep. So in the second half, Pavetta is one and three with the five point two two ERA, while Eflin is two and two with a five point six three ERA. And the reason why I would put Velasquez ahead of both of them. Is in the second half, he is 4 and 1 with a 3.12 ERA. Granted, one of those wins was in the 16th inning, I believe. But still, he's produced a better ERA, giving up only 12 earned runs in 34 and two thirds innings. So, again, when it's all about thinking towards the postseason if they happen to jump over the breeze, which there's a lot of baseball left, a lot can happen. So, yeah, looking forward, there's again, there's a lot of baseball, so anything could change. Perhaps Eflin becomes a 7-2 with a 3.15 ERA he put out in the first half of the season. Maybe he becomes that again. And Velasquez could be used in a more high-leverage situation in the bullpen, perhaps later on with Dominguez if he continues to have his rookie uh, struggles. So, yeah, um there's a lot of figuring out to do still in the season. And very interestingly, the Phillies will be able to have as many as 40 players on their active roster. They're probably not going to bring all 40, but I would imagine they're going to load up on a lot of pitching. And, and I think if any of them happen to struggle, they're not going to be too hesitant to go to the bullpen, huh? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd imagine Kapler will... We could be seeing one to two to three pitchers later on towards the end of the games if the situation calls for itself, definitely. And they'll, and they'll have Ranger Suarez probably. Now, Suarez is probably uh, a little early in his career. He, he was probably rushed a little bit, but he was on the 40-man roster. Enyel De Los Santos. Uh, you'll probably get Edu Ramos back off the DL soon. He'll be added. You'll see Mark Leiter come back. So, uh, so there'll be a lot of options, and I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of pitchers on this active roster, and who knows, they might even pick up one more before this is all said and done. But it probably will not be a starter as good as Cole Hamels. Matt, thanks so, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. It was good talking to you. And, again, there's a lot of baseball left. Anything could happen. And we'll sit back and enjoy it. 
And this time next week, we could be telling a very different story. I look forward to chatting with you again next week for episode 53. This time next week, we'll know how the Phillies fared against Cole Hamels, as he is set to be the starting pitcher for the Chicago Cubs a week from today. So the Phillies have three against the Washington Nationals, a day off Thursday, and then a weekend series against the Chicago Cubs. will be very, very interesting. And a week from now, we make all the difference. Catch you next time.